0: Good morning, Woodside, or afternoon, I should say. It is so great to see each of you and uh, have you joining us together today in worship. Um, I wasn't here last week. We started a series a couple weeks ago um, called uh, Church, Why Bother? And uh, it's been a fun time as we've been looking at 1 Timothy. I wasn't here last week. I was down in Orlando with my daughter. She was playing in a soccer tournament at Disney, and Pastor Alex was here opening up God's Word with you, and I'm looking forward just to continuing that conversation. Uh, If you want to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2 with us today, but before we even do, it's just ironic and special that today we're going to be, uh, as we, we walk through 1 Timothy, looking at the idea of praying together as we enter into prayer week for our church this week. And man, I just compel you, Pastor Alex, I'll share a little bit more at the end as well. I just want to compel you as the pastor of this location of Woodside to enter in. Like, enter in this week in prayer and fasting. Like, this isn't some special week, but just during the week, like, enter in and see what the Lord does. And we're going to be releasing at our campuses videos every week, going through the Lord's prayer, encouraging you to pray in specific ways. We opened up our prayer, and we have a sign-up genius where you can sign up, just come in 30 minutes and pray in the room. There's nothing special about that room. It hasn't been anointed with oil or anything else. It's just another room in the church that we've dedicated to prayer. And, uh, man, just come and and pray, and if you want to pray with someone, let us know that. We would love to, to join you in that. And, and if you've never fasted before, this is something the Lord asks us to do. Jesus did, and as we follow in his footsteps, like, if you want to know what that looks like, uh, man, we would love to talk to you. We have some special uh, literature we could give to you. But maybe it's just um, from something, a meal, a day, or something uh, this week. But I'm just asking, man, enter in. And then Alex will give some details. But at the end of the week, we're going to gather together at the Troy Campus all together prayer and worship night we'd love to have you there as well so first timothy chapter two So where we're at i just want to as we go into the topic of prayer it's not specifically just prayer but more of an idea of corporate togetherness prayer and so i just ask you before we open up i'm gonna ask a number of questions throughout our time today and, and my question just is, is this is do you pray So I don't want you to give me this spiritual answer, yes, I do. I just want you to think about the reality of your life for a moment and just think about the way in which you pray and if you pray. If prayer, what I'm really asking, is prayer something that is an active part of your life? Is prayer something that you do every day? Is prayer something that you do weekly? Is prayer something that is incorporated into the life of your family? Is is prayer a part of your life? Just think about that. And I don't want anyone to answer, you know, but just just think for a moment for you personally and your heart of hearts, because I firmly believe in the presence. In this room, there are people that have not prayed for a very long time. The prayer is not an active part of their life. It's fascinating. I don't really love all the time statistics or even like surveys, because I don't know if they're necessarily accurate. But one survey uh, says, uh, as they polled people, about 80% of people in America said that they prayed. Depending on what survey you find, it's about 80% of people in America say that they pray. Now, I, I know that you have to take that with a grain of salt because we don't know what they're praying or who they're praying to. And a lot of times they can say, I pray, yes, because in my life when things go sideways or bad, yes, I pray. And even we saw this in the reality of a recent a football player who was injured and everybody begins to pray they might not believe in Jesus whatever it's not a bad thing I, I think that's a really good thing that brings people together but the idea of prayer is just something that people talk about they don't even know necessarily what they're doing or who they're talking to or who they're declaring or who its name they're praying in and they would just say yes I 80% of people say that they pray and so my question for you is is do you pray is it something that's a part of your life then I want to ask you a second question what do you pray about? And who do you pray with? What do you pray about and who do you pray with? You won't be surprised that as the, the, the same poll, depending on the survey, excuse me, the same survey said that most people that said that they prayed, they prayed predominantly about themselves and by themselves. And I would say that's actually not abnormal. I mean, I think most people that pray, their their focus is on themselves. And a lot of it revolves around asking God for things. That like, man, I'm in a crisis moment. God, I need you to move on my behalf. Or man, God, I, I want this. Or God, whatever. And it's not all bad. But a lot of people, most people say that their prayer life is about themselves. And it's only with themselves. And I don't actually think that that's necessarily bad at the end of the day, that people's lives predominantly are them praying to God in their relationship with the Lord. Because at the end of the day, right, God God calls us to pray without ceasing, right? I mean, and have you ever wondered what that means? It's not that, like, in every moment of every day, you never stop praying. Like, you're just praying at all times. You never stop. That's not the idea. The idea is that we would continue the conversation with God throughout life, in every moment of life, that in... It's a conversation that would, it would be without ceasing. It's not just when I eat. Or it's not just when I read my Bible. Or it's not just when I need something in a moment. It's that I can communicate with God whenever. Like, man, driving down the road, and, and it's like, man, just a beautiful day, and I hear a worship song for him, I'm like, man, God, thank you so much. I just, just realized today that you're a good God. Thanks, God. Or you're sitting in the edge of a cliff, you just took a hike, and you see an unbelievable sunset, and you're just like, God, you're so... You're such a creative God. You're so amazing, God. Th- th- there's nothing wrong, I don't think, at the end of the day. I'm not I don't think definitely there isn't anything wrong with our personal prayer life. I mean, it's fascinating when you read the Psalms, which is a book of songs or even prayers. A lot of them are focused around individuals praying to the Lord. I'll just read a couple. Psalm 3 and verse 1. O Lord, how many are my foes? Psalm 4 and verse 1. Answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. Psalm 5, give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groanings. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. Psalm 6, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. I mean, there's countless prayers in Psalms that are just individuals going before the Lord, and there is nothing wrong with that. But I believe that there's also another element to prayer, and that is the idea of corporate togetherness in prayer. What the Apostle Paul is really sharing with Timothy today, that God's design for his church is that the church would pray together for all people. I and mean, I want you to see that today in just remembering this one thought at the end of the day that when we gather, we pray. Like that's, a, that's, that's part of what we should be doing together is praying with one another. And sometimes that's often harder in, in moments like this where a lot of people are gathered. And that's why we so strongly push that you would join a group, that you'd be a part of a smaller group group of people on Sunday mornings and when you're a part of that group it's not just all men like we have fun together we have relationship together but you're spending time praying together and praying for each other and walking through life together that prayer is this part of a communal walking with other people in Jesus you might ask like well why do we need to pray together well the simple answer is that God commands it now I hate that answer because when I was a kid and your parents said like why can't I do that I just said so Anybody else hate that when you're a kid? It's like, I just want a reason. Just tell me a reason. Don't tell me. And honestly, I was telling Sarah the other day, I struggled to tell my kids that because it bugged me so much. Like, well, Dad, why can't I go inside? I'm like, darn, I have to think of a reason because I do not want to tell them just because I told you so. Well, at the end of the day, part of the reason we pray together is because God commands it. the second is because actually God responds to it. That throughout history, and it's proven in time, you see pictures of it, and you see how God moved, that when God's people gather together, there is something special that God does and moves on behalf of his people. It's just, you see it, right? And it's not one or the other. It's not just like, hey, personal prayer, and then corporate prayer, or together prayer with one another. It's not either or, it's both yes, right? And so I would venture to say that most of us in this room, if you answer the question, yes, I pray, most of the prayer you do is individual. It's you praying before the Lord. But, man, I'm telling you, when you read the the New Testament, a lot of the prayer you see is in a corporate setting or a group of believers gathered together. I mean, I love just showing this. I mean, when Jesus, Peter, James, and John went up to the mountain to pray together, it's fascinating. God responds. God responds. Jesus' glory was revealed, and two of their Hebrew heroes, Moses and Elijah, were revealed there. God audibly speaks and says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. God respond. After Jesus ascends into the heavens, in Acts chapter 1, maybe one of the more pivotal times in the New Testament, what we know as Pentecost, Acts 1, though, it says, that, it says this in verse 12, Then they, the disciples, returned to Jerusalem... ...from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. And Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus... ...and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. And then in verse 14, all of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together... ...with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers... They're like Jesus leaves them on earth, and the first thing they do is gather together in togetherness in prayer and going before the Lord. And what happens? God responds. Right? I mean, the day of Pentecost comes, and God responds in their prayer, and He sends the Holy Spirit to equip them and us for all that God has called us to do. One of my favorite stories in Acts is when James was killed by Herod. I can't stop there because you're like, what? Your favorite story is when James was killed. That's weird. the story that surrounds it, Peter's put in prison and the, it's fascinating. It says that the church is an earnest prayer for Peter that was made by the church by or made for, for God by the church. And Peter, the story, I mean, he's in prison, and he's actually shackled and chains, laying between two guards. And then out of nowhere, while the church is together praying for Peter, saying, this is not going to happen. We're going before the Lord in earnest prayer. An angel shows up and actually hits Peter. Wakes him up. He gets up. His shackles fall off. And he's just somehow getting around all of the guards by the miraculous power of God. And I love the story. The door just opens, the gate of the prison, like this spiritual, holy Oh, and they just walk out, and they're like, this is great. And the first thing, Peter's like, man, i got to go tell everybody. And so he heads to a home, to Mary's house. And it says there in verse 12, where many were gathered together and were praying. And it's fascinating. He, he comes to the door. The servant girl comes, and he's like, hey, it's me, it's Peter. And she goes and tells the rest, and they don't believe her. Why? Why? I honestly think sometimes it's easy to believe that God won't respond rather than believe that God already has responded. And all I'm doing here is I'm just trying to show you just some glimpses, there's many more, that at the end of the day, prayer together as the church is a powerful agent of change in the kingdom of God. That God moves and he responds. How he does it, I don't know. Why he does it, I don't know. But at the end of the day, I know it's true. From the course of history of the church and and the stories of God and how he does it, he doesn't always listen like we like, right? He doesn't always respond in the time we want. But he answers our prayers. And I don't understand it all the time. Honestly, I don't know. I think so many people are like, well, you know what? God's already got it all planned out. Why do I got to pray? At the end of the day, I firmly believe in the sovereignty of God, that he already knows how it's going to change. He already knows when I'm leaving this earth. He couldn't write the end of the Bible if he didn't know how it was going to end. At the same time, prayer moves the heart of God. And you're like, man, how do those two things exist? And I was like, man, they exist like most things in the Bible. God is three and he's one. Men wrote the Bible, but they wrote it perfectly, exactly the way God wanted to. God. Jesus is fully man and fully God. How do I understand these things? By faith, because the scriptures say it's so. And at the end of the day, scripture says that prayer moves the heart of God, specifically also corporate, together prayer moves the heart of God. And so I want to look at just the first couple of verses in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and I want you to just answer this question with me. What should the church pray for? What should we be going before God, asking of God. And Peter, excuse me, Paul, as he's writing to Timothy, a pastor of the church of Ephesus, gives a few things. These aren't exhaustive, they aren't the only things, but he gives three things that the church there, Timothy, he wants to push forward and pray for in the church of Ephesus, and that's what we find today. And so if you would look with me in in the first verse of chapter 2, and this is what Paul writes to Timothy in chapter 2. He says, first of all then... I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. And so the first thing we see is that the church gathers, when we church, church gathers, we pray, but we pray for all people. We should be praying for all individuals. Now, it says first of all there at the beginning, and this could be, understand, Paul saying at the end of the day, above all or more than anything else, so this isn't simply like, man, it's kind of okay. It's like, no, above everything else, more than anything, we are to urge you. I want to urge you to, to make supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings before the Lord. More than anything else, I want you to go before the Lord for all people. And this isn't just a suggestion. It's not just like, man, if you feel like a Timothy, that would be fantastic. No, this is actually, at the end of the day, the language is of pleading and urging and carries the, the idea of strength. Or a weight of a command. Like saying, this needs to happen. And Paul uses four four words of prayer. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. And it's amazing when you look at what these actually mean. Supplications here means to passionately ask or humbly begging. If you have children, you know what supplications are. Right? Last night, my daughter had a soccer game in Novi. Novi. We were driving home at like 8 or 9 o'clock, and for 45 minutes to an hour, my kids made supplications for ice cream. Like every time they saw an ice cream place, in please, Dad, please, we'll be good tomorrow, I promise. If we don't talk for the rest of the hour, please. So he's talking about like these, these passionate asking or humbly begging, Right? We would make, and and I want you to catch the idea of this, this is all in the context for others, not for you, for others, for all people, right? Prayers is this idea of bringing the people for whom we're praying to God uh, and and asking for blessing and care, general blessing and care for them. Intercessions is this image of kind of coming before a king and passionately appealing for the king's favor for somebody else, right? Right? So we're making intercession. Lord, will you be for this person? Will you bless them? Will you keep them? Will you take care of them? Thanksgiving is just what it means, what it means. Expressing gratitude for the person we're praying for. All in the context of other people, that we would pray for all people at the idea of of humbly begging for the Lord on their behalf and interceding for them that they would be blessed and, and bringing them before the Lord and asking for blessing on their behalf. Now, at the end of the day... The point is not there's these different prayers we have to pray these four exact. The idea at the end of the day is is the point is that all kinds of prayers should be offered for all kinds of people. That we should be offering as the church prayers for all kinds of people. The the same phrase happens in chapter 4 and verse 10 where where it says that God is the Savior of all people. The idea is we pray for everyone because God is the Savior of everyone who, who calls on his name. That God isn't just the savior of this people, right? A church like Ephesus oftentimes could get into this mentality that limits salvation for a small group of religious chosen people. But I'll tell you right now, uh, the gospel is not, at the end of the day, elitist, so our prayer shouldn't be. The gospel is not exclusive, so our prayer shouldn't be. The gospel isn't nationalistic, so our prayer shouldn't be. Uh, uh, The gospel isn't racist, so our prayer shouldn't be. The gospel isn't selective, so our prayer shouldn't be. There's no category of people that are left out on the list of our prayers. All humanity is in the circle. And while we may not know every person's name of the 8 billion or so people that are in the world, generally, he's saying at the end of the day, there is no separation. And in the next text, we'll see in the next couple of verses, God's desires that all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. While our prayers are personal, they are to be national, they're also to be global for the world. And so I just, again, just press on you in this section, who do you mostly pray for when you pray? Is it just mostly you or maybe you and your family or is it for everyone? Is it, do you have a list of people you're praying for? Do you think about our global partners and you're praying for them? Do you, do you think about what's happening around the world and pray for them? Do you just think about your neighbors and pray for them? Do you think through, like, people in the church and pray for them? That our prayers are meant to be for everyone. They're not just this list of things that we want for ourselves or just to be done to us. And the point at the end of the day is, are we a church family that prays for all people? Are you praying for the suffering in Ukraine? Are you praying for the lost sons of Russia? the fatherlessness in South Africa, the victims of human trafficking in India and Nepal, for people all over the known world that just struggle with basic needs like clean water, for the persecuted church that is scattered all over the globe, specifically in Africa and the Middle East, for the 42% of the known world that has no Christians, no missionaries, no churches, and has never heard the name of Jesus. They don't even know who he is. Is our heart to pray, the church's heart, to pray for all people in all places. Because God's heart is for all people in all places. And you can even go closer than that. I mean, how often are your prayers wrapped up with, man, man, I want to see my neighbor Lord come to know Jesus. And I want to make intercession for him. And I pray generally for blessing for him. Or her, or them. And Meant for the people that I see at the gym, man. I do you pray for them? For for the coworkers that you have, are you are you covering them in prayer and going before the Lord and humbly begging the Lord to rescue and redeem them? This is what the Apostle Paul is saying to Timothy that when we gather, we pray, and God moves. But then Paul moves from more of a general prayer to a very more specific and this is where it maybe kind of gets a little bit people get uneasy look what he says in verse 2 he's talking about prayer right for all these things he says then for kings and all who are in high positions it's pretty general that we may lead a peaceable a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way this is good And it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires that all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so what we say is that, man, God calls us to pray for our governmental leaders, for for kings and all those who are in high positions. So just to give a little context here, praying for kings here was a reference to be praying for whoever was serving as the Roman emperor at the time. Now, I want you to consider this for our context and our application. The Caesar at the time was an emperor known as Nero. Ever heard of the guy before? Not not the greatest human? He's the first to initiate the first systemic state-sponsored persecution of Christians. One Roman historian described followers of Jesus as degraded and sordid human beings... Who foolishly held on to wicked, evil and malicious superstition. This is what Christians were thought of at that time. And so Christians who refused to, to make offerings to Roman gods at the time, they were dressed in animal skins and torn apart to death by dogs. They were burned alive. They were crucified. Those who had a quicker, more merciful death, they were simply just beheaded. You think about that in the context. Does Paul say, pray that God would annihilate Nero? No. Paul says, pray for the king you suffer under. Pray for the leader you disagree with. Pray for the ruler you can't stand. Pray for them. They would come into the knowledge of Jesus, that they would their eyes would be open to the goodness of the gospel. The application is pretty, pretty straightforward here, guys. I mean, at the end of the day, God calls us to pray for our president, regardless of what you think of his politics or policies, or the previous president, or the one after that, or the one that's going to come, love him or not, we're called to pray for him. We're called to pray for the vice president for the governor, for the senators, for representatives, for people that we see on the news like Vladimir Putin, for Justin Trudeau, for Zelensky, and for every other known leader in the world. Our job is to go before the Lord and pray for them. I see a lot of Christians doing the opposite today. But we're called as the church to go before the Lord for kings and all who are in high positions. Why? But why do we do this? Because we're called to live under their authority when their leadership is good for us and allows us to follow Jesus, and we're called to obey God in certain moments when, when, when actually at the end of the day when, we're, God, we're called to follow God rather than men when they subject us to not being able to follow Jesus. And when their leadership opposes what God opposes, even when it leads to persecution and all of it, We're called, as Jesus calls us, to even love our enemies, do good to those who hate us, bless those who curse us, pray for those who actually abuse us. So he calls us to pray for your leadership. Pray for their souls. Because it's God's will. God longs. It's good and pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, whose desire is that all people would be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. All people. All people is all people. All people are the most heinous human beings in the world and what we consider the greatest humans in the world. All people are people we see on the news. My question again is, is do we pay, play, pray excuse me, for all people for the weight they're under, I have no clue what it's like to be the president of the United States. I'm sure it comes with a lot of pressure, a lot of, per, a lot of struggle. No matter what president is there or not. I don't know what it's like to be a government official in Lake Orion or Oxford or Auburn Hills or Clarkston or another place. But I'm sure it's not a, an easy job to make everybody happy. It's hard enough in the church. And God calls us as the people of God To pray over those above us. And he says, Paul says, so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. He says, man, this is why. So we could live a peaceful life, quiet and godly and dignified in every way. Now, at the end of the day, he's not saying this so that we can, at the end of the day, put in our context, live the good life, and so we can live the American dream. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that at the end of the day, but that's not the context. The context is actually means that we would pray for peace amid persecution. They would pray for peace. That's a good thing to pray for amidst persecution, and pray in such a way that promotes peace. But I'll just tell you, if we're to called to pray for, to promote peace, we should be living to promote peace, Right? that allows the church to flourish. We should pray that man, God would, would, would bring peace and God would woo uh, government leaders and those above us that we could actually flourish as the church and the church could grow and be unhindered and, and we would have the authority in, 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 in allowing us to share the gospel and share freely. All those things we should be praying for and asking the Lord to move. At the end of the day, the point in all of this is actually the gospel, That we, as the people of God, would be free to live a life of godliness and holiness, right? And I think there's something to the text that happens in our hearts when we do that. I think the Apostle Paul knows what he's writing at the end of the day. Imagine how hard it is for him to tell Timothy, as the pastor of the church, to lead this way to pray for kings, and the person that they're supposed to pray for is literally burning people. It's their real enemy. They're killing Christians. And he says, pray for those people. Imagine what that would do to your heart and your soul. I think the Apostle Paul is on to something here. You see, if prayer is this conversation with God where our hearts begin to align with his, because that's what prayer is, is that when I pray, man, there's something that happens where my heart begins to align with the heart of God. Man, can I tell you, it is Impossible to pray with a heart full of hatred and cynicism while I'm praying if my heart's aligning with God. It just can't happen. And I'm convinced that one of the major reasons that Christians have the reputation of hatred or cynicism towards leaders, it's not simply because we disagree with them. It's because our hearts have not been softened through the activity of prayer. Going before the Lord. As one writer wrote... No one can feel hatred towards those for whom he prays. Man, I can't despise someone and pray for them. I can't pray for their salvation and for their soul and at the same time despise them. I'll give you a practical example. Does anyone here get frustrated with their husband or their wife? Would you raise your hand? No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to raise your hand. Hey, someone amended in the first service. I was like, Wow. Yeah, people are literally like slapping each other's hands down. Put it down. The whole church just saw that. Right? You ever get frustrated with your spouse? Or I'm sure. Sarah never gets frustrated with me. And you ever get frustrated with your children? <laughs> yes, for sure. And they, you know what? They probably get frustrated with us. You ever get frustrated with... With with, with pastors? I'm sure you do. Do pastors get frustrated with their people? I'm sure. I never do. But yeah, I'm sure it happens. (laughs) the, The whole point is, is we get frustrated with one another. All people, right? It's amazing what happens. And I just want to press on you for a moment. The next time you're frustrated with someone, pray for that person. Something happens. Frustration wanes when we pray for them. We're at the end of our patience with someone, that impatience softens when I pray for them. When I'm hostile towards someone, when I pray, it's replaced with compassion. When I pray and, man, I'm angry with someone, it's replaced with a deeper, a deeper understanding of who they are, maybe what they're going through. When I have resentment towards someone and I pray for them, man, it re- it's replaced with this desire for potential of restoration, When I lack love for individuals and I pray for them, something happens. When I move closer to the heart of God, our Heavenly Father who has love for all people, something shifts. And the Apostle Paul is not wrong in saying, man, when you pray for Nero, the king, or the individual that's persecuting the church, there's something that shifts in your spirit and in your heart when you go before the Lord in someone maybe you don't like, you dislike, you have a problem with. There's a shifting in your spirit, a softening that happens when you pray for them point is at the end of the day that God calls us not only to pray for all people but very specifically for those above us who oftentimes, at certain times in life we don't always love are we a church that goes before the Lord for the people that he has placed over us in authority and prays for their heart and their soul and their goodness then lastly in verses 5 through 70 if you look with me the apostle Paul tells Timothy that he might lead in such a way that they would pray for the gospel to advance. Look in verse 7 or 5 with me, excuse me, for there is one God, he says, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, I am telling the truth and not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. You see, in Paul's world, I would say even our own world today, people believed and worshipped in a whole pantheon of gods. And there's lots of gods for all kinds of things. I would say we have the same thing today. People just don't necessarily know that they're worshipping that god. You were made as a worshipper in the image of God. It just depends what you're worshipping. Every day you see people, they're worshiping a God, whether it's the God of money, mammon, it's the God of of consumerism, it's the God of love, it's the God of whatever else it is. They're worshiping a God because we were made to worship. It's no different today than it was then, but they had the God they declared. And so here, the Apostle Paul is, is saying at the end of the day, there is no other God. There's only one God And one God of all. And he says that even further. Our gospel claims that there is only one mediator between God and humanity. And his name is Jesus Christ. He's saying at the end of the day, Jesus is the only one that can reconcile God and you back together. That's it. There is no other reconciliation found outside of God. And there is an entire world that is striving to make God happy or somehow climb the ladder back to God. But we serve a God who climbed down the ladder to us, rescued and redeemed us so that one day we could climb the ladder back to him. Right? And the only mediator is Jesus Christ. He's saying that's it. One. And in this first century world, ransom was this idea that money would be paid uh, to a slave owner in order to set a a slave free. And so when he says that Jesus was our ransom... This is what the gospel makes abundantly clear at the end of the day, that we were all slaves. You were a slave. I was a slave. Everyone in this room was a slave or currently still is. But through God's initiative, not our initiative, through his action, not our own, Jesus gave himself that we would all be offered freedom, freedom through Jesus if we place our faith and trust in him. We're ransomed, if you will. Like Ephesians 2 says, that the church that Timothy actually led in Ephesians chapter 2, the apostle writes, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. He ransomed us. We were a slave, but he set us free. And I'll just pause right there for a moment. I I know a lot of you in this room. I don't know everybody. I just want to ask you are you free? Have you been set free by the power of the gospel? Are you redeemed? Have you been ransomed? You can never pay the ransom on your own. You can't give enough money to a church, this church, or any other church. You can't serve enough. You can't do good enough. At the end of the day, the only way to pay the ransom that you need is through the body and blood of Jesus Christ given on the cross for you. And what's solidified is that he rose from the grave victoriously so that you can raise victoriously. H- have you experienced that? And if not, today is the day of salvation. Now, after the service, you can pray, share your heart with the Lord, come see me. I'd love to lead you in that, or someone in our prayer room would. And today is your only application, is to call on the name of the Lord, and you will be saved. It's amazing when you look at it. This reason is why we know the fact that we are ransomed, we're free, we've experienced the gospel, why every time we get together, We gather every time we preach, every time we sing, every Sunday service we have, every small group we have. We're praying and asking and hoping of the Lord that the gospel will move forward through our lives. You see, the Apostle Paul knew his calling. He knew what he was called to do. He was called to preach and teach the gospel to the unknown world. He was appointed to preach to the world, to the Gentiles. At the end of the day, our calling is exactly the same. Matthew 28 makes it pretty clear. We're to go and make disciples. That the gospel would move forward. And can I tell you at the end of the day, the gospel isn't going to move forward on our own strength. I'll just press on us for a moment. Maybe for a long time you've wanted to see your neighbor come to know Jesus or or a friend you have come to know Jesus or, or a family member come to know Jesus. And you've been trying. I'm not saying that it's all this, but maybe for a moment, if you just think about it for a moment, You've been trying so long in your own effort. I just want to ask you how many times have you urgently gone before the Lord over and over and over and over? pleading with the Lord, making supplication and intercession on their behalf that the Lord would open their eyes to the gospel. Because, man, you're like, man, I've given the gospel so clearly. It's It's just night and day. Can I tell you there is an element of the Holy Spirit of God that only draws people and only opens their eyes to the goodness of God. And, man, why would we go forward moving in our own strength when I'm asking the Lord to move in our behalf? Maybe it's that we need to pray more. That the gospel would be open. The eyes of our people would be open to the goodness of the gospel because salvation belongs to the Lord. And every time we gather we should be praying that the gospel would be moving forward. My church, my heart is that we would be a church that prays for the gospel to advance. We'd be a church that prays for all people, all nations, every neighborhood. We'd be a people that praise for our governmental officials and those over us and we'd be a people that praise continually that the gospel would move forward and so i just ask you today again what does it look like for you to pray is it just you how often are you gathering with other believers to pray i mean that's why i i think that it's a big deal for us on friday night to gather together at the Detroit campus and pray and worship together and ask the Lord in 2023. Man, God, we have a lot of aspirations as a church. We want to see you move. We want to see people in other countries be rescued and redeemed. We want to see our neighbors. Man, God, we want to do all this stuff, but at the end of the day, Lord, we lay it all down at your feet. We need you to do it. And I'm going to invite the band to come out. We're just going to spend a couple of moments doing exactly what we said. As the band comes, I just want to press on us just to take a couple of moments in this space and spend some moments and pray. Rather than singing a song which is great and it's declarative and I think it's powerful, I'm going to ask the band just to sing. And I want you to turn to someone around you, gather with a couple other believers, and let's just pray over these things. Would you just, maybe just start for all people. Let's just pray over some of our global partners you know of. For all people, let's just pray for our neighborhoods. Pray that there would be revival in, in our area. And pray for the government leaders you know in this area. Pray for, for the government leaders you, you know around the world, the ones that lead our country. Pray for the gospel to move forward in amazing ways in, in our area and around the world. And that you would be used in the process of change. Not just praying, but going and serving and praying doing what God has called us to. And I just want us to go before the Lord, spend some time in prayer this morning as the band sings as we pray. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your word as I am reminded again today that your word is alive. It's it's like a sharp sword that pierces us. May it stir our affections this morning, God. May you, Holy Spirit, have a way in our hearts and lives. and Move us as a people to be a people of prayer. That as groups meet all over our area, would it be a part of their group to gather together and pray over others, to pray over each other, to make supplications and thanksgivings intercession on other on behalf of other people and even now lord as we pray would you hear our prayers together in this room as we know throughout history and from your word that when people gather to lift up your name and ask of you you move and so god would you move maybe there's specific people god in this room that people know that they know need prayer right now lord as they go before you would you hear their prayers May we be a church in 2023 that doesn't just talk about you, we talk to you together. We long to hear from you. So God, in this moment, would you hear our words and hear our prayers as the band sings? In Jesus' name, amen. Would you just turn to a couple people around you?